0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Back, And thank you for listening. David. What's up? How you doing?
0: Oh, uh, I'm doing alright. Are you
1: making a mess, David?
0: Uh, sorry, this is the first time I've had a, a cola of any sort in a long, long time. Oh, man. But uh, I'm, in, I'm enjoying a, a Pepsi, Pepsi Cola here at Tyler's house. Indeed. It, well, it's 4th of July that's weekend. that's what Tyler drinks. Yeah, the red, white, and blue. I, don't,
1: I drink one a day at this point. So I was I was breaking it down for my. But I'm just saying you have
0: Pepsi because you don't drink. You're you're a Pepsi person.
1: I am. Back in the day, you and I used to drink RC Cola because that's what was cheapest at the Clarkport Pantry.
0: Clarkport Pantry. yeah. So
1: it was only uh, ninety nine cents as opposed to like a buck twenty nine, which is what Coke and Pepsi cost. So we 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 had RC Cola.
0: Yeah, and I would occasionally treat myself to a king size Snickers bar.
1: <laughs> you sure would. Yes. What was that joke you made? Once I don't know about uh,
0: like no, now don't twenty. Don't embarrass perc- me. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know what the joke is, but it was probably really bad.
1: No, it was, I think you said it at uh, when you were working, and like it said like new king size Snickers, like now twenty percent bigger, and I believe you said like now twenty percent more phallic
0: or something yeah. like that. Yeah,
1: some little thing that you say.
0: It's an observation. It's not that funny. No, it's <laughs> right. okay. Um, it was a long time ago, David. Yeah, I'm a much funnier person now. Yeah, yeah, yes. Someone told me actually Thursday night a friend of mine said that, um, and she meant it as a compliment. But she was like, "You're so much wittier on Twitter than you are in real life." <laughs> oh, jeez! <laughs> it's
1: like when you when you don't have a lot of word a lot of words open to you, then uh, uh-huh. it's great. You are very witty on uh, on Twitter. Witty on Twitter, that's <laughs> fun to say. Oh my gosh! Sorry, off the rails, everybody, uh, right away,
0: uh, David. How's it going? It's going very well. Like I said, right. enjoying a Pepsi. Going very well. That's weird. A lot of dead people. I yeah, it's going very well for me. Obviously uh, not for them and their families.
1: Are you unable to like empathize with people,
0: David? Well, I mean no. I, I certainly I feel I feel bad. Yeah. But um I only knew Carl Malden from his movies, which are all available on DVD. Indeed. Or most are are. And uh so I can revisit him anytime. Whereas Absolutely. His family is probably hurting a little more. Indeed. It's yes. probably less of a solace to them.
1: You know what, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So but uh yeah, I was I was actually quite saddened by Carl Malden because I feel like he was just he was like a really good, solid character actor. He didn't he never really changed his performances up, but he often lent a great deal of heart to the movies that he was in. Like if you look at like Streetcar Named Desire like the big the big ones, you know, Streetcar Named Desire on the Waterfront and Patton, like Everybody else would have like showier roles, but then he was often like the the kind of the conscience of the film like he it was yeah. kind of his job to be to say kind of what things were what the movie was about
0: you yeah know? do you remember the episode of uh West Wing that he did?
1: I remember that he was on an episode of the West Wing, but for the life of me, I don't remember which one it was
0: he he was um it had to do with a uh, it was a death penalty related episode, mm-hmm. and uh jed Bartlett had called his his old sort of priest from that's his right. old parish that's and right And it was Carl Malden and he used uh, i found this out from the commentary the uh, the Bible that he holds in the west wing is the same one he had in on the waterfront oh
1: that's pretty cool yeah that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah he is he is really uh, he is really awesome in the, in on the waterfront because he's he's not like a you know he's a compassion- compassionate guy but he's not necessarily like a gentle soul like he is willing to like go to bat for people. He smokes cigarettes like he's willing to fight, you know, under like he's he's he risks his own death or injury by the mob. Like he's a it's a great character. Like there's I'm not a huge fan of on the waterfront. There's a lot of aspects to it that I don't really like, but I really love his care. Just everything about that character, his performance, certainly. And uh I like him and I like um, Rod Steiger in that. Yeah. And uh, Marlon Brando, he's he's fine. He's uh, you know, I don't know. What do you think of this is off This is off topic, obvi- uh, obviously. But uh, uh-huh. what do you think of Marlon Brando as an actor?
0: Uh, I, you know, it's weird. I've never really given it a lot of thought. Yeah, I think because I've just it's always been presented to us that he's great. And I, you know, I think he is really good. I'm gonna say yes. He is.
1: He's ve- he's very very good. Yes, absolutely. But for some reason, I always feel a little distance from him, and I don't know why. Except in those rare moments of like genius, like in on the waterfront where he picks up the glove, and you know, like moments of pure spontaneity, like uh-huh. when she accidentally drops her glove, he picks it up and starts putting it on. Yeah. You know, and that's something that he did in the moment; it wasn't scripted. And uh, moments like that, it's like, oh, that's okay, that's good. Yeah. Or like when he's like just the way that he's petting the cat in uh, The Godfather. Like, s- moments like that are when I'm like, that's good for him, because he, he's very present in the moment, but uh, uh, I always feel like he's 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 very actory to me in a lot of ways. Yeah. But, sorry, I, we started talking about Carl <laughs> Malden and then turned into talking about Marlon Brando, which is something I imagine he dealt with a lot. So, <laughs> sorry. Well, let's, sorry, uh, Mr.
0: let's keep the show moving along. Absolutely. Because there was something else. We recorded last week with Sean Coleman and thanks to Sean yes, for being absolutely. on the episode. It was a lot, a lot of fun. fun. Um what? <laughs> Sorry, you know, I cut you off. And then you give me this look like, I'm the one who's supposed to say thanks to the guests.
1: <laughs> oh, no, no. I g- no, I gave you that look because we both said a uh, lot of fun. Yeah. And I was waiting for someone to say jinx because I'm a big kid. Right. And so,
0: um, no, there was a lot of fun, but we did not mention. We didn't mention the, the announcement about the Oscars. Which is a
1: like a big deal. Like the Oscars make announcements every once in a while. And it's like, oh, okay, that's, oh, there's an animated film category. That's a big deal, you know. But. Their new thing, and we're, you know, we're kind of uh, late to this party uh, a little bit, but uh, stretching five, yeah, the best picture, five nominations to ten. David, what do you think of that?
0: I don't think it's going to really change who the winners are going to be. I think it's going to be, uh, basically, they're just going to be a few more dvd boxes that say best picture nominated for best picture on them. that's true and that's kind of i think i think that's all that's really going to happen i think the same kind of stuff is, is still going to win and yeah. they're just going to be throwing some bones to stuff like the dark knight yeah you know which never would have gotten never would have won anyway
1: right i mean like yeah like for example let's say let's say they did it last year and dark knight was was included and like wally and i don't know other ones i'm uh-huh. sure um three other i have to imagine um <laughs> Well, Slumdog. It's like, oh, there's more. Oh, Dark Knight was nominated. Uh, Slumdog just won seven awards. Somehow, yeah. I don't think they're going to give Best Picture to something else. Like, I think it's going yeah. to remain the same.
0: But you do have to wonder if, um, if if it is going to open up certain types of movies. You know, mm-hmm. if you're going to see more. You know, may, uh, you know, m- maybe maybe Judd Apatow's Funny People movie is going to be great. Yeah. I don't know. But let's say it's great. Yeah. You know. It might have a chance of getting nominated. Do you think it's going to have a sort of residual effect on the other categories where it's because that type of movie is now more likely to get nominated for Best Picture are the performances and, you know, maybe the cinematographer or whatever uh, more likely to get nominated from a picture like that? You know, I think uh,
1: that is something that could happen. Like, I was thinking in terms of uh, in 2007, like, if there were ten nominations, I'm fairly certain that Zodiac would have gotten one. Yeah. And... With that in pe- in voters' minds, I feel like it might have they might have given it some other nominations as well. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I just y- I, I told a story on here a long time ago uh, about um, a couple years ago in Hollywood there was a big poster for the MTV Movie Awards, mm-hmm. and it said featuring the movies you actually saw. Oh yeah. This seems to be a similar mentality. <laughs> like it seems to come from that. Like I, I like the idea of it because. Uh, you know, the Academy seems to feel like, well, we have to nominate Atonement. I mean, we, it's something we have to do. So, we can't eliminate that. No, they, we can't do that. We're the Academy. Right. <laughs> so, rather than that, let's include... Let's let's have more... No, allow more nominations. So, And then, movies that are great, but just aren't movies like Atonement, um, will be included. And so, in that sense, it's like, oh, that's kind of neat. And maybe people will watch them, or maybe... It'll give them some kind of,
0: mm,
1: I would say some kind of cred, but like you know the I, I don't know if if the academy does it does it give cred to anything anymore? artistically? Anymore? I don't think so. I don't think so either. But no, you're right. I, I mean if
0: it. if if The Dark Knight was nominated, you'd probably have a lot more people tuning in to the Oscars.
1: And and that's and so like I I like what they're doing, but again like I, I don't know if I. I don't think their motivations are about, oh, well, let's let's include these, these genre films that aren't normally... I think it's more about, well, we want more people to watch the Oscars. Yeah. You know? Um, and and that's... Well, that's just like, well, okay, well, why, why don't you nominate movies... You know, if you're going to nominate movies that quote-unquote people actually saw, well, Transformers, uh, Revenge of the Fallen just made $200 million in five days. So, uh... Let's nominate
0: that. People will see it then. We'll watch the ceremony oh, How then. is that, by the way? I I don't understand. Oh, how did it make that much? I don't get it. I, I mean, I don't want I want to be an elitist, but I really don't get it. No, I... Because uh, I saw... I went to see The Hurt Locker the other night. The Hurt Locker. Yeah. And, it sounded like um, you
1: said Hurt Locker.
0: No, oh, no. I went to see The Hurt Locker. Yeah. Uh, which is awesome, and uh, but just as a guy who's sort of been like defending Catherine Bigelow to like snobs who yeah. look down on Point Break and Blue Steel and her more genre type work like that, yeah, uh, I feel like vindicated because okay. she's now made a film that I think film snobs will like just as much as people who are into thrillers and war movies. Oh, good. But anyway, that aside, waiting to go into the theater because uh, the they're taking a while to clean it. You know, mm-hmm. theater next door was uh, Transformers Two: Revenge of the Fallen. And I just saw people walking out, and they did not look like it – w- it wasn't it, – they weren't like, oh, my God, did you see that? They were just sort of like, all right, we got that done. You know, maybe they, <laughs> they were a little shell-shocked maybe uh, from what, – what, I don't know, whatever. They all looked a, like
1: they'd been kicked in the balls, even the women. <laughs> right. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, – I'm
1: – and I guess this just speaks to how out of touch I am that – I literally thought Transformers Two was going to be something of a bomb.
0: Like I, yeah. that's
1: that's how stupid I was. <laughs> that I, I thought like, well this and again, uh we, we we've I I've received some criticism for uh talking about movies that we have not seen.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I don't care. I'm gonna talk about Transformers Two. It just But you it, saw Transformers, right? I saw the first Transformers. Yeah, I did not. Yes, so so I guess that entitles me to talk about it a little bit. Um but uh it looks so terrible and also i just and i i just didn't know if people were clamoring for another one you know and so i just thought like well cl- obviously this is terrible there's no question about it and you know the, i feel like the first one uh some you know summed everything up nicely so uh i don't think people are going to see it uh-huh. and then of course it's s- setting all kinds of records and and it's like oh well i guess i'm just an idiot and uh, yeah, I'm well, you know completely what? out of touch
0: I, and, until sort of recently, I had sort of had jobs and hung around people where it tended to be a lot of nerds and people who thought alike. Yeah. Now I have this sort of job in an office with like, you know, quote unquote regular people. Yeah. And like, I, I literally, two months ago for the first time in my life, met someone who said they liked the Transformers movie, the first one. So, so I kind of was with with you like did yeah. anyone I, mean, I know people saw it but did anyone like it and apparently a lot of people liked it. Yeah. I'm just I've just been in this little insular nerdy world. Yeah. I didn't yeah it, it it shocked me like it was like 2 months ago this guy was talking about Transformers 2 and how excited he was cuz he loved Transformers and I was like you're the first person I've met who said anything positive about that movie. I do
1: know some people. I mean when I went and saw Transformers, I mean the guy that I went and saw it with actually enjoyed it you know i mean Uh that kind of that mentality is like well you know i appreciate it for for what it was and it's like well i used to think i could do that and uh you know unless what it is is a bad movie which first transformers was a bad movie Uh um and i can't appreciate it on that level um but uh yeah and and i would actually say because i actually again i'm very late to the game on this but uh i just saw the trailer for uh (laughs) <laughs> for GI Joe?
0: I I have not watched that trailer.
1: Wow. Wow. I, I, I we mentioned it. Oh, you know what? Oh, we mentioned it on an episode that hasn't gone up yet. Sorry. <laughs> um but I was but like I remember cuz it's it's basically you know when uh the 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 GI Joes and Cobra like, you know, when they're all everyone's kind of young and everything's just, you know, the mm-hmm. ri- it's the Rise of Cobra. And uh and Joseph Gordon-Levitt pl- uh-huh. is going to be playing Cobra Commander, and I was like, "That's an interesting bit of casting. Good for you, because I think he'll I think he'll do good things with that role." And uh, Christopher Eccleston—that's how you say his name, right? Yeah, uh, is Destro. Okay, uh, and I, I like,
0: don't really know a lot about the toys. Yeah, that's yeah,
1: and so but those are the two characters anybody cares about by anyone. I of course mean me, and <laughs> yeah. uh, and so I was like, okay, all right, you're doing pretty good. And then I and then I. And I was even well, I've never liked anything that uh, Stephen Summers is that his name? Yeah, okay. I've never liked it. I know you like the mummy.
0: I like the first two mummy movies. The, okay,
1: I didn't like, uh, I didn't see the second one. I didn't like the first one, and I really didn't like Van Helsing.
0: No, Van Helsing is, and in, uh, in fact, any any like goodwill I that I he had built up in me with those fun mummy movies was more than decimated by Van Helsing. <laughs> yeah, horrible.
1: And so, but I thought like. The casting of those two guys, casting really does, you know, it makes it, it it makes me give something a second look. And I thought, like, maybe Steven Summers, maybe he, you know, maybe he's really got something going. And then I saw the trailer, and and you know, uh, you and I have talked about how one should not judge a movie based entirely on its trailer. Man, <sighs> it looks horrific. I mean, I, I I put a Facebook status saying like. It's like, I know, it's like, I just saw this trailer, and I know I'm kind of late to this, but this movie looks really bad. (laughs) And and people made fun of me for saying such an obvious statement. But,
0: uh, you know, I can't, I I know you obviously are sort of still have fond memories of G.I. Joe, but I don't. Like, I have fond memories of, like, movies and TV shows that mm -hmm. I watched when I was young that were, whatever they were they were still based in storytelling mm-hmm. Transformers and G.I. Joe are toys yeah the TV shows are commercials for the toys yeah so I don't have any nostalgia, nostalgia in fact I feel kind of bitter about those things when I look back at it and it's like oh, I fell for that shit mm-hmm. so uh, I, I don't I don't get the people who are like I can't believe what Michael Bay is doing to Transformers you know <laughs> like well, it's yeah, it never gonna text. be very yeah uh, it's like the one the one thing Hasbro G- is not, you know, <laughs> fucking Stan Lee. It's not the same.
1: Yeah, uh the the one thing GI Joe has is it's at least based on an older toy. You know, <laughs> yeah. um but uh yeah, and the, and and with the uh with the GI Joe cartoon, they they had like strong personality... like each character had a strong personality. And it's like, okay, all right. This this isn't bad. But yeah, it's still. They did that a lot. There was a lot of that in the in the eighties. There was I, like,
0: I think it's probably still going on. We don't. That's entirely we don't possible. Have or no kids, so. Yeah,
1: I mean there was Silverhawks, and there was Visionaries, and there was I Inhumanoids. Of these. <laughs> I, these. I loved toys when I was a kid. I loved them. What about uh?
0: What about uh, Cops? Those I movies. love cops. Well, it stood for something, didn't it? It did, and I don't
1: remember uh, what. Damn it. But uh, I remember
0: there was a character, a female character named Miss Demeanor. That's right. Which I, thought, there was which I thought was h- the height of cleverness when I was <laughs> five years old. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, and I remember uh, there was. Yeah, I remember all the almost all those characters. There was uh, there was Nightshade. She was <laughs> okay. she was a sultry villain villainess. Villainess Okay And then there was Buttons McBoomBoom, Boom who, <laughs> That name rings a bell Who out. had a guitar case with a machine gun in it But I don't think he needed it Because his chest folded out and shot bullets out of it <laughs> So I don't know if he needed that guitar case But I guess, you know, back up And then there's Dr. Va- Dr. Bad Vibes It was awesome <laughs> oh, Those toys were kick-ass because they had caps Wow oh. uh, Yeah, uh,
0: yeah I, that's, this times. is funny that I, I railed against that sort of nostalgia And then <laughs> proceeded to bring up Cops Well,
1: nobody's making a movie out of it, so we can continue just thinking back on it fondly.
0: Oh, what if they do make a movie out of that and try to make it, like, seem badass? (laughs) No,
1: it needs to be just as ridiculous and tongue-in-cheek. But, but, you know, they probably will try and make it kind of badass. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. uh, So that all came from our Oscars discussion. But uh, now, do you think that they're going to... I mean, were you fine with just the... The just the five. I mean,
0: yeah. I mean, I, I don't. We, we we've hit on this ever since we started doing this podcast. Yeah. I, I don't really care, right? I like watching the Oscars. It's a fun thing to watch. Yeah, you know, it's but it's uh, it doesn't really. It's not really important to me. I don't feel like if my if my movie doesn't win, then I don't feel oh yeah like jilted. You know, or because a lot of times my movie doesn't even get nominated for best picture. Yeah, you know. I can't remember if it did last year. I never remember after the Oscars over. Rachel getting married did not get nominated. Yeah, but
1: it might have if there were ten. Yeah, the visitor probably would not
0: have. Yeah, I didn't uh, didn't see that, but um, good
1: stuff. I'm meaning to watch it. But the, um, I mean, one of my concerns that I was uh, talking with a friend of the show, Jay Sneakin, about, Uh is that um, the concern is that. I mean, when you think about it, how many really great movies are nominated? Uh, are not nominated? How many great movies are made in a year, anyway? I mean, like even of the five, usually a couple of them are questionable. Yeah, you know? yeah. but um, those
0: five aren't the definitive
1: great movies right, that were made right. that year. And so, but like, <laughs> let's say you include them. Like, I feel like you'll get eight, and then they'll probably put in like w- like two movies that are they're all right. That maybe they've got some nominations in other categories, but they're kind of subpar. Like. For example, if they had done this last year, I feel like Doubt probably would have been nominated. And it's not a gr- it's not a great movie. It got the yeah. nominations that it deserved, I think. But,
0: yeah, I mean, that's just there's a whole system because it, it, it's not just about how good it is; it's about how uh, about the kind of push it's given and how many people go to see it. Yeah, you know, because I was looking, I was actually just looking at um because I keep up my my uh, every movie I see in a year ranked in order. Right. You know and so even if I see something that's a few years old I'll go back and and change oh, the my. list um so i I just watched well i just watched the Japanese film called nobody knows from two thousand four which I'd meant oh, yeah. to be seeing for a long time and it's great, but that's not the point I went to my, my two thousand four list and when I was looking at it and like a lot of the stuff that's in my top ten is stuff that I didn't see for a long time hmm. afterwards because like um uh what's that movie keen oh yeah uh with uh what's his name um the dude from Band of Brothers and Damien Lewis. Jim, Damian Lewis, yeah, um, that movie's amazing. Yeah. But I had heard of it. It played like some festivals. Maybe played like a week in Chicago, and I missed it. Yeah. I eventually saw it for free on Sundance on demand like a year ago. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's like my fifth favorite movie of two thousand four. Wow! So uh, it doesn't mean anything to me when those those nominations don't mean anything because I won't have a clear view of what was great in uh, of that year for yeah. another three years anyway. Yeah. Um. But we should, uh, yeah. We should uh, get into sorry, it. I was looking.
1: I'm looking at the time. Yeah, I guess we should. We should move on. But uh, yeah, there was <laughs> the one thing that struck me as as funny and and probably true is that like it th- this will probably cause the the Oscars to get you know a few more viewers and as far as the movies themselves they might be rented a few more times. Mm-hmm. But uh, I read an article that said probably the biggest beneficiary of this will be like. Hollywood Reporter and Variety, who can sell so much more (laughs) ad space uh, around Oscar time, which is absolutely true. I think
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna start working on a transition here. In addition to genre films, it might also cause foreign films to get nominated for for best picture, as opposed to just you know in their category. Like uh, for instance, there's a really great movie that that was nominated for best picture in 1996, best foreign film in 1996, called Ridicule. That's right. We'll, We'll be talking about it soon. Stay tuned. Um and uh you know that movie got enough press maybe it would have been nominated. Yeah. But uh we'll have to wait and see. Speaking of ridicule. <laughs> let's get into it, shall we? Ridicule. Now what is that film, David? Uh it's a 1996 film, uh French film. French, yeah. Uh it's a period piece. We'll talk more about it later, but it's directed yeah. by Patrice Leconte.
1: Patrice Leconte.
0: Yes. All right. Um every time I say his name I try to say it a little more French, but I don't speak French, so Patrice I just uh, Patrice Leconte. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Um uh and uh, so at, this is episode 120, multiples of 10. Uh, yeah. We do what uh, we do an artist profile, um, and uh, because we sort of surprise, like so at the last minute, did Spielberg 10 weeks ago with yeah. with Paul Rust, which was great. Um, we've had we've had 20 weeks to watch as many Patrice the films as we can. <laughs>
1: Stop embarrassing me, David. Um,
0: <laughs> no, you've been busy.
1: I yeah, I guess I have been in some ways.
0: Yeah, so, uh, but uh, no, we, there's there's seven films we're going to talk about. We're not going to talk about the most recent one to come to America, My Best Friend, because neither mm. of us has seen it yet. I'm right. sure it's great. Right. And uh, Paramount Classics is apparently already working on a remake. Hmm. Or is it, it's Paramount Vantage now, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's been that way for like four years. I don't know why. I forget. Hmm. Three, three years? I don't know. Not important.
1: Yeah, you really, I could see by the expression on your face, you really wanted to figure that out.
0: Uh, no, because I worked... For Paramount Vantage, and oh, that okay. was summer of two thousand six. So it has to have been at least three years. Okay, then. but I think it was like a new thing when I. So yeah, that's okay. not important at all. No. So um, and you
1: went back to it. That's what fascinates me <laughs> because okay, go I on. really did
0: want to try and figure it out. <laughs> but I, I was like, got to keep talking, can't think, and so I had to like <laughs> <laughs> let you uh, talk for a second so I could do the the ciphering in my head. All right, fair enough. Um. So, uh, okay, Patrice Leconte was a uh, is he's still working, of course um started directing films actually in France in, in nineteen seventy six, I oh think. My. Um and uh made mostly comedies for about uh thirteen, fourteen years. Thirteen mm-hmm. years about. Because uh nineteen eighty nine he made a film. It's the first of the seven films we're gonna talk about today. Um called uh, I'm gonna butcher it. I don't know. It's Monsieur Hyra. I don't know how you don't French speakers Please forgive me. I don't know, but it's spelled like the word "hire." H-I-R-E. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully, I won't have to say it anymore. I'll just refer to him as the protagonist because that's the guy's name. <laughs> um, that was so. That was 1989. So that's the the first one we're going to talk about, and it's the best of his films in my opinion. Okay. In fact, it's one of the best films I've ever seen in my life. Oh man. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, that it it um premiered at Cannes, and it was a big deal. Um, and it was I think the first of his films to get an american release uh and it introduces a lot of the themes that we're gonna be talking about today i yeah. think um because it's a, um you know not an not an an elderly man but a man who's middle aged or above mm-hmm. who is uh lonely and finds something usually in these films a woman but not always uh to sort of obsess over mm-hmm. to give his life focus and meaning hmm. that's something that happens a lot in in his films yeah um the the ones you've watched are mostly the exceptions <laughs> uh i could but, i could see it
1: in them yeah. uh, the well we'll talk about those later
0: but um i i don't really know what to to say it's it's funny that i mean this is a movie that came from a guy who directed comedies because it's not a comedy at all and it's mm-hmm. not very it doesn't move like a comedy. It's it's not a long film, but it's very uh measured, you know. Yeah. And it's uh, it, it's <clears throat> I'm so used to you being the one who does most of the talking. Huh? Sorry. <laughs> maybe um,
1: pick a different filmmaker next time.
0: Oh maybe I, I specifically rem- picked a guy that I thought would speak to you. And it and you know what? It
1: absolutely did. Like <laughs> as I was watching two of the films today, I uh <laughs> that's that's for you guys. Um I remember thinking like, wow, well, wish I'd watched a lot more of these.
0: <laughs> yeah. They're very much up your alley. Uh, and and I think, I mean, you, we, we've we talked a lot about, um, about your taste and how you like movies about mm-hmm. sort of the, the male point of view apart from movies that are sort of for guys. Right. Right. You know? Uh, and that's very much what he's, what he's doing. I mean, this is the, the, this character in, in Monsieur H is, uh, there we go. Um, uh, he's, he has a job, he, he has, uh, you know, he has style, he dresses well, he goes about his day, mm-hmm. but he doesn't, he's, he, he, he's just him. He doesn't really have any connection to anything, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, although you later found out in the movie that he does go bowling with some, uh, with some people once a week, which is kind of a, a fun character trait for him. Yeah. Uh, cause you don't see it coming. Um, <laughs> but the the but again we're we're seeing the beginning of this theme of a a man obsessing over and almost fetishizing a woman because the mm. uh the man see he can see into a woman's apartment across the street mm. um and he some he watches her and it's kind of creepy yeah. you know but he it, but he's still generally pretty harmless yeah you
1: know. Um, now how old is he he's he's older he's, uh, he's like uh, middle he's, aged just over middle aged yeah probably about 50 okay.
0: um, and she's young she's in her 20s and um, he watches her and he becomes obsessed with her and then at one point she notices him mm-hmm. and then sort of confronts him but not in a confrontational way yeah and they sort of start a not a relationship but a something there's a connection yeah and at the same time, there's this whole the the uh this whole other story where a woman was murdered, and our guy, the protagonist here, is a suspect. Hmm. Um, and we don't know early on whether or not he did it. We find out, bef- well before the movie's over, yeah. No. <clears throat> um, whether or not he did it and uh, how it ties into this other storyline, but um, it's not. I I I don't know, but I if I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the the movie, but okay. Um, well I mean
1: and and you don't have to quite frankly. Yeah. I mean you've given, you give you you talked about a theme that will show up in his films later. I mean we're talking about what the director himself like the the material that he's attracted to and what he brings to it as a director. Mm-hmm. So you don't really have to spoil anything. I I may wind up uh giving a spoiler a little later on because it actually contributes to the theme yeah. uh, and I'll I'll give ample warning when that comes up. But but, uh, no. but it's it's very it's very measured, it's very like he in the films that I've seen, which there's only three of them. Yeah. It's, um, you know, his direction is very self-assured. It's very, for lack of a better word, slow. Slow sounds negative. Yeah. And I don't mean for it to. Because it doesn't feel slow. Yeah. You just know that And his that films it are never
0: that long. Usually about a hundred minutes or so.
1: Yeah. And it's, but what's interesting is because, uh, I saw, the earliest of his films was, uh, Ridicule, uh, that I saw. Right. And, um, and so well, I saw Well, there, there, is,
0: there is no, another one before Ridicule, if you want to that that we were going to talk. I was going to talk about, but uh,
1: but say make your point, right? And so um, so I saw Ridicule, and then I saw um, Widow of Saint Pierre, and then I saw Man on the Train. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is having watched those in the opposite order that I just listed. Oddly yeah. enough, um, so I watched Man on the Train first, and I saw this very, this very quiet, subdued film. That was very, uh, to use your word, very measured. I think that's the right word for it. Because it, it's not, it doesn't have a negative connotation. So I saw that. And then uh, Widow of St. Pierre, similar, but not, oddly enough, quite as measured as Man on the Train. Mm-hmm. And then Ridicule, even less so than that. Like, do you find, just as you go through chronologically, it's, do you find him getting more in that direction?
0: No, it it doesn't really change in any one direction. He changes his style for for the film. Okay. You know, it it, it fits the film. But, okay. um...
1: So what's the next one?
0: Uh, the next one is The Hairdresser's Husband. The Hairdresser's Husband. Which is the first of the ones we're going to talk about that stars uh, Jean Rochefort, okay. um, whom he uses a lot. Uh, you, Two of the films you've watched have him yeah. in it. Um, and this is uh, it, and e- even more of this sort of uh, obsessive older man thing. Mm-hmm. Basically, the movie starts with a flashback of this kid as Jean Rochefort is a kid. Um, I mean, he's not playing the kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's he's a good a actor, though. <laughs> yeah. He could do it. Um, I imagine it like like when Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet are under the table in uh, Eternal Sunshine <laughs> of the exactly. Just like force perspective like, and stuff like that. And you, of
1: course, know my five-year-old with an insanely long <laughs> face. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, and he's sort of obsessed with uh, hairdressers. And it's very specific. He he sort of fetishizes the female hairdresser, hmm. and uh, it's his goal to grow up and one day marry a hairdresser. Right. But this this woman, it's important. I won't give it too much of the, too much away. But um, the the woman who's a hairdresser that he's obsessed with as a as a as a child mm-hmm. ends up committing suicide. Um, so it it has a weird his fetish takes on an even darker sort of I turn. Imagine, there. yeah. But it's not a dark movie. Yeah. Um, it's actually a it's a lot of fun actually and it has a lot of um sort of eastern pop music in it that's another thing that's he, he tends to eventually he grows up and he marries a, a hairdresser mm-hmm. um and uh spends all day sort of just watching her cut hair mm-hmm. and he'll dance around the the salon to this eastern pop music um it's i, I don't want to go any further because it's uh that would be a spoiler but um this this movie be really, uh, because Monsieur H was was lonely, you mm-hmm. know, and sort of his sort of obsession with this girl was was born from that. Yeah, it's but it's sort of reverse engineered with their hairdresser's husband. He's yeah. got he's got the fetish first, and he becomes obsessed over a woman because of because hmm. of it. You know, he's he's not he's not grasping out at whatever is available to him. He's got a very specific fetish. Yeah, an obsession. Uh, and and so it's it's just sort of a pinpointing of of the themes that that we'll yeah. we'll see more of, and, and it's it sounds, probably actually the most blatant <laughs> uh, example.
1: Well, and it sounds it sounds delightful, and I, and we'll talk more about this as we go on. But uh, his movies are never again they're measured, and you know the some of the you know a couple of the ones that I saw are period pieces. And yeah. if you want, we can move into ridicule. If you, had, unless yeah, you had yeah, more things to say, yeah,
0: ridicule is the next one. Okay.
1: Um. So period piece, very, very, uh, very measured direction, and yet surprisingly fun to watch. Like, well,
0: ridicule is one of the things that I wrote on my notes that I left at home. Yeah, uh, was that it's almost sort of a uh, I, I would I would really like to see some of his comedies mm-hmm. because ridicule is almost like. Uh, taking a serious look at at comedy, like people who are trying to be funny all the time. Yeah. But in the whole the whole backstory for people who don't know the 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 point of ridicule is that in in Louis the sixteenth late eighteenth century uh, Versailles mm-hmm. it's the sort of currency of the court is wit and being able to sort of take someone down with with a uh, a play on words or yeah. you know a repartee or a quip. Indeed. Or, <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: yeah, keep the mi- Keep in mind the word wit, because in the film it is said as often as, for example, David and I will say the word measured in this <laughs> yeah. episode. It is it is said a lot. Like I guess the movie could have been called wit. Yeah. Except I think there th- there was a play uh, oh, right. called that
0: a, a one woman show basically. No, yeah, it's and, not and ridicule is more specific because it's they call it wit, but it's not just being funny. Like most of it is being mean.
1: It's being. It's being like stylishly mean, yeah. And it is it, so. And and ridicule is up for uh, best foreign film. Was it up for screenplay?
0: I I, I don't know. I feel like it could have been. And I also want to. I imagine you watched the same version of the DVD mm-hmm. uh, that I did. I want to applaud whoever was in charge of the subtitling because that mm-hmm. could not have been an easy job to yeah. translate. <laughs> yeah. You know, to make that whatever's witty in French might not necessarily be witty right. in English. Right. And to, so to make it, I, I think. I wonder if the screenwriter had a play, had a hand in, like, maybe spoke English and had a hand in, in the subtitling because it's...
1: You have to imagine it because so so much of the, of so many of the lines, the clever lines are, they are slight plays on words. They're not puns. No, never puns. That would be the worst thing ever. <laughs> yeah. They are, they're just a play on words. Like, for example, there's a part where uh, our, our main character is uh, the king. Uh, has asked him, uh, he says, be witty right now. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. Oh geez. Okay. And, uh, and then and he, and he says, he says, use he goes, me, he goes, use me, you know? And then the guy says, he goes, sir, the King is never a subject. <laughs> and it's like, and I remember I, re- I uh, well, I read that and I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's a great line. <laughs> and the, and the, and you see the King, F- start to figure it out and then he gets it and uh-huh. then he's like oh that's very and then like he looks over to his guys like that's not a pun is it and <laughs> then the guys know like, it's a play on words he goes oh delightful <laughs> and it's, uh, but yeah like that you that's a very specific that's a very precise uh selection of words yeah that yeah that's a that's a good call i mean as but, we but
0: i, I want to to what i was saying about yeah about the the comedy thing because uh it is sort of it. It does feel kind of almost meta that this guy who was apparently known for directing comedies yeah. is directing essentially uh, a very funny, like almost like a Philadelphia Story type of movie where it's all about the you know fast talk and yeah. but um, without the joy, <laughs> right? Because not that it's not a joy to watch.
1: No, it's a lot of fun. But I mean, and it is. I mean, it's. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of like another movie where it's. It's funny, you chuckle out loud, but after a while i just i couldn't laugh anymore because you come to realize the absolute desperation behind these people making these jokes. they need to say them lest they be banished from the court or you know yeah. possibly jailed well, that's a threat that's thrown around <laughs> but um and so just they they have to say something now they got to say it. they got you know, and it's and so it's interesting that he. And so many of the characters you don't really know anything about aside from the, f- because everything about them is masked in this wit, yeah. you know, and, and ridiculing others. And, um, and it is interesting that the guy who started in comedy, not only does he, does he make a very, you know, I, I don't know what his comedies were. I mean, yeah, I don't do know I. if they're madcap or farcical, probably not. I had <laughs> to imagine, but it's a movie that, well, we'll talk is, about
0: that actually in the in the, in the next film. Okay. But, um,
1: you know, he, he started in comedy and now he makes a movie that kind of kind of studies and in some ways, I would say, kind of condemns a certain type of comedy or what comedy can be used for, mm-hmm. which is to really just tear people down. I mean, characters, you know, uh, who are made the butt of the joke, you know, they they don't get what they want or what they need. You know, yeah. I mean, there's a guy who... Who wants to get a job and it's not even that luxurious of a job or glamorous um but the only but like between like questions about his lineage and uh-huh. the fact that he's often made the butt of of jokes he's he's never gonna get it that that's the thing is you're not given any second chances either yeah he's never gonna get it and so he spoilers he kills himself yeah and it's a really it's a really sad scene, but at the same time. As strange as it sounds, it does. He does such a good job of putting you in the mentality that it's like, well, that's his only option. Uh-huh. Like you totally see how he got there. It doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like the uh, the action of a crazy man or a man. Yeah, it doesn't seem like dust. a drastic measure. No, it seems like that's all you can do. Yeah. At this point, what it, what it, it's like if you're used to this life, what are you going to do? Go and live like some kind of peasant, like remove yourself from this? No you have to do this or nothing, you know? And, uh, and so it's a very, it's, it's fun to watch, but it's also very uncomfortable and very, it's, it was really, it was really a a wonderful film. And, and it really does kind of make you realize, you know, I, I, I consider myself kind of a a funny person and Uh I can be, you know, funny in, in when I'm talking with other people and all that. And I come to realize like, I got to, Maybe I, I got to be careful and may, maybe be sure to let out a little bit of sincerity every <laughs> once in a while. It's like I don't think that's necessarily a problem for me, but I got to be sure. I got to keep this in mind. Thanks, yeah. thanks, Patrice <laughs> Um And,
0: and I'll, to get back to um, sort of the the theme that I'm going to try and uh, explore in every one of these films, mm-hmm. it's it's much different here. I'm not even sure if it if it exists uh, because he doesn't. You could say that our, our main guy has has an obsession because he wants to get this – he wants – he's there solely to get audience with the king so that he can uh, ask for funding for this uh, project to, to, to drain these swamps mm-hmm. that are causing pestilence among the people in his part of France. Right. But it's, it's not really just an obsession because it's born out of, you know, uh, compassion. Yeah. You know, it's – he, he – this guy is uh I can't remember it's uh the what's his name Malavoy? Yeah, I think so. Um probably the most relatable male character in all of Patricia Lacan's films, I think. Uh because he he's uh he's a he's a nice guy, he's smart, yeah. and the love story in the film, there is one, but again, it's not obsession. No. It's two two people who were like, yeah, they probably go well together. Um, yeah. It, it, I mean, there's a, at one point where he sort of forgets that and lets his uh, ambition right. get in the way of it. But even then, his ambition is still uh, good-natured. He still yeah. wants to do something good for people.
1: Yeah, it's kind of noble. Which yeah. uh, maybe I shouldn't say it because like there's talk in the movie of nobles, but it's noble right. in the sense of like you know, in there's the nothing sort of modern sense. Of yeah, the word, there's yeah. nothing
0: bad behind it. But uh, so I'm not really sure how it does yeah. fit in, into the theme. I and mean, I, I mean, that's. Uh, that which doesn't uh, bother me. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. want to be able to, to sort of uh, cram every director into a certain set of parameters.
1: Well, and also just in the you know just in the um, the the few films that I've seen, I, I noticed another theme, which was and in this one it's not touched on a lot, but it is it's definitely there, and it's in uh, I've forgotten his name now. Rochefort,
0: Jean, Jean Rochefort. Jean Rochefort. Yeah, um, yeah, he's also in, in ridicule.
1: His, yeah, in his character, and it'll come back. Uh, later in a, in uh, another role that he plays um, the idea of aging mm-hmm. and um, and like um, the you know the effect that that has and and in and in the world of ridicule like you know his mind it's not that his mind is starting to go he's just becoming forgetful of, of things not anything huge but enough that like he there's a moment when he has he has the chance to like throw something very witty and very clever and very biting out uh and he starts to but then he forgets the reference he's about to make yeah and and he looks and what's weird is nobody really ridicules him for it they just kind of pass over it but you know that he's just beating himself up yeah uh, but also i mean
0: if he were a younger man or uh, in more of a position mm-hmm. they probably would have taken him down but they right. know he's not really a threat anyway at that yeah. point yeah he's a know? fairly
1: harm he's, he's kind of a harmless character no yeah. one knows everyone knows like nah we have nothing to worry about from him but just and and it continues it, his, his his character has like his he's involved in the in the in the the events of the story but he also has his own his own thing going and it seems to be uniquely his in the film the idea that he is getting older and he's becoming you know he's not a threat and so he's harmless nobody cares about him and he is you know he tries to do these little games and exercises to work out his memory and stuff and and uh and by the end of and it's really you really get the impression that it's bothering him a lot yeah and um and then by the end of the film he he seems to kind of make peace with it. Yeah. He it, it should be known that at the end of the film he
0: is has moved outside of the this world. He's well, he's fled France yeah. because of the revolution. Right. Which has probably put things in perspective for him. I have to imagine so.
1: <laughs> and uh and you can see just he goes from being a character who's kind of he's not weak, but he's just, you know, again, harmless. And but he he always seemed kind of tense about the situation and all mm-hmm. that. And then you see him at the end, and he actually does seem genuinely relieved. He's not so worried about his mind going all the time, and and you realize like good for him, like yeah. he's found some happiness.
0: Yeah, and that that definitely is something that, uh, especially as produce the con gets older, mm-hmm. you'll see. Yeah, we see a little more of this this idea of sort of almost uh, aging out of society, or yeah. at least of of your of the, of what you thought of as your world. Right. You know, that that def- definitely happens. Right. Um and it it happens to some extent in the next one I'm going to talk about. Uh which i you said earlier that uh you can't imagine that he did uh madcap farces or anything like that. Yeah. Well if you watch The Girl on the Bridge you can totally see it. Because okay. even though uh <clears throat> uh thematically and story wise it fits with a lot of the other films that we've talked about uh, aesthetically it's such a departure from these because yeah. there's a lot of sort of like fast moving swooping, like camera moves and, you know, steady cam, the camera's sort of always moving, hmm. you know, and there's like quick cuts and kind of somewhat over the top performances. And it's, uh, uh, it's not like any of these other films, but it's brilliant. It's amazing. And it's, it's definitely sort of, uh, Fellini-esque. Hmm uh especially in the fact that it actually has to do with circus, circus performers which seems like kind of a Fellini type of thing yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> um uh, but this is a story it's the girl on the bridge is this young woman who uh um sort of uh i guess she's sort of uh, an in, insatiable uh nymphet if you will nice. <laughs> um she tends to get around it a lot and the film does mm-hmm. not judge her at all yeah. much to uh lacan's credit um but she's sort of been used probably by men too many times and is about ready, ready to commit suicide. That's mm-hmm. this is the the beginning of the film. And then um a man
1: Is she going to jump off a bridge? She's either? going to
0: jump off a bridge. Oh. And a man played by the awesome uh Daniel Atouille. Oh yeah. Um whom we'll talk about in a second in uh yep. um Widow of Saint Pierre. Uh and is a great actor. He's in a lot of a lot of French films. I guess he's a pretty big name over there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we have any French listeners. Uh, if we do, I'm I think we sorry a- for all the bastardizations of your language that I'm I p- perpetrated this episode. I don't know how to speak French. I'm sure it's not Jean Rochefort. I'm sure there's some more. Uh, I'm sure there's a much sexier way to say it. <laughs> exactly. Um. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so just please forgive me. I, I I I love you. I love your films. I just don't know your language. Okay. Um, now I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, but Daniel Atui, he shows up. Uh, and sort of, it sort of like, kind of tries to talk her out of committing suicide. But he's kind of like, because like I said, the performances are heightened. He's sort of being witty and joking around and coy. Would you say, yeah, coy? Um, but then uh, she jumps. Oh my! And so he jumps, mm. and uh, and 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 rescues her, and um, then. <laughs> they both wake up in the hospital where they've been putting these bags that are plugged into the wall because they're like practically hypo- hypothermic because mm-hmm. they've jumped into the water in the middle of the winter, and uh, and he wakes up and pops out of this bag and just starts screaming at her like you know what were you like what were you doing like basically being very selfish about the fact mm-hmm. that that she had tried to kill herself and uh, this and then he like breaks her out of the hospital and the sort of relationship starts from there, um and. Again, Daniel Attui, this character is probably in his forties, mid forties. This girl is in her twenties, so it's again it's a similar thing as in Monsieur H. Uh, and and uh, but it's even but again fitting with the sort of style of this film that I've talked about. It's a little more mystical. It's a lo- it's not as uh, it's not as logical an obsession mm-hmm. as, as in the other film. Um, you find out that um, what this guy does atsui's character um he's a knife thrower in in the in like a circus but he's sort of freelance he sort of goes from circus to circus (laughs) he doesn't travel with the circus um and and that's sort of part of the story we talked about this idea of aging out like he's sort of like finding it harder and harder to get an act you know and he keeps on sort of having to make changes uh to make it more exciting like at one point he well i'm getting ahead of myself okay um he uh Basically, he takes her to uh like a like a parking garage I can't, I can't remember where it first happens and uh, throws knives at her and it it works, and he sort of he sort of begins to treat her like a muse mm-hmm. and then you, you get to the impression that much like how this woman this uh the girl on the bridge, has gone from man to man you know in a sexual relationship, he's done much the same thing with sort of assistance in the past, oh yeah, and it's not a sexual relationship at all mm-hmm. but it is kind of a romance. But it's also kind of a father-daughter type of thing, so it's it's, mm. it's it's weird. But there's it's not it's not sexual, but he treats her like a muse, like as if he can't. If it were anyone else or anyone who didn't fit these these qualities, he wouldn't be able to miss. He would he would hit her, you know. Mm. And he does occasionally nick her, and that, that's sort of a a running thing that uh, he has to put a few band aids on her after every performance. Oh my. <laughs> um, uh, but. Uh, but then he so he starts taking her around and he spends all his money on her and you realize that it's literally all his money but then he goes and does an amazing show where well, like I was talking about he had to add new things mm-hmm. so he puts her on the board and then he pulls a curtain in front of her so he can't even see her and then throws a knife through the curtain pinning the curtain to the board around her you know and so then the curtain is like it's a white sheet that's like that's pretty cool over her form uh and they make a shit ton of money so like <laughs> That's and you sort of realize that's how this guy lives. Like he spends way too much money. Is that in his how day-to-day... it was translated?
1: Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. He,
0: he yeah he 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 lives his his day to day life, uh, way too extravagantly, spending way too much money, mm-hmm. uh, until he's dry, and then he goes and does this and makes a bunch more money. Yeah. And then there's another sort of uh, mystical element with uh, how, I I don't know mystical, but almost supernatural. Like she can, she's sort of like Rain Man when it comes to casinos. She. Mm always seems to be lucky nice um so they make a lot of money that way but again you get the impression that he's lived this way for probably two decades yeah and it's becoming harder and harder because he's aging out and she's yeah. and you and you see the pattern what you're assuming is the pattern that has been repeated a million times whereas she gets a little more it, it a, woman, a woman who makes her living getting knives thrown at her uh is probably going to not she doesn't want to make a long time career out of that, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's probably what happens a lot of uh, uh, time and time again, and that's what happens here. Yeah. Um. So that's sort of the basic story. I don't, and I mean, that only goes up to sort of like the you know not even two thirds of the way in, but I I don't I don't want right. to spoil anything. But um, I, I think would you agree that uh, what I'm what I've described is very much part of this these themes that I'm talking about. Absolutely. Older it'll... men obsessing over younger women, but not in. Not in a purely sexual way. It's right. almost like as a sort of life force because they're aging out yeah. of their world, and this uh, a younger woman sort of plugs them back into it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it certainly sounds like that, and I'm I'm excited to watch it just because it does the nature of the story does uh-huh.
0: make it sound delightful. Yeah, it, it is delightful, and it's very very fast moving. It's it's only about ninety minutes, and it hmm. just uh, it just flies by. It's a really great movie. It's in black and white, and it's in black
1: and I gotta.
0: Gotta see this movie. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So. Oh, we. Oh, jeez, We gotta move along. Oh, well, we've only got two left. I think. Yeah. No, three left. Do. Two left of yours, and I've got one. Okay. At the end. But um, now we're gonna talk about Widow of Saint Pierre. And for those who are sick of me talking, uh, you're lucky because Tyler's gonna talk for a while. Because I uh, Widow of Saint Pierre is the first Patrice Leconte film I ever saw. I saw it in the theater in 2000. Mm-hmm. That was the last time I saw it. So oh, uh, my. I kind of remember it. <laughs> I remember yeah. that I basically saw it because of Juliette Binoche. Yeah. Uh, but this is also, I think it was probably the first film, w- one of the first films that I saw Daniel Latouille in. Yeah. Um, that's probably not true. But uh, go ahead. All right. Well, I, so it sounds like you saw it nine
1: years ago. I saw it about two and a half hours ago. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it uh, it's really interesting because based on your description of Girl on the Bridge... uh huh. <laughs> I would never have thought it would be the same director yeah. uh just as far as story elements and what it sounds like the approach is because uh it sounds like he returned to his very measured approach and yeah. and uh it's the eight, it's uh, around 1850 right i as I recall yeah At, in a on an, an island called uh, St Pierre mm-hmm. and uh these two uh it's basically like this fishing village uh, essentially as we learn from Lots of shots at the beginning of fish being gutted, which is something I don't care to see, frankly. But um,
0: now, what would, you, what would you rather watch: is fish being gutted, or the shot at the beginning of ridicule, which is the guy pulling out his dick and pissing on someone? Wow,
1: I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. Uh, yeah, because because it, it's you don't quite realize because you know there's a lot of ruffles and stuff in what he's <laughs> yeah. wearing, and you don't quite realize what it is right away. And it's like, what the hell? Ah, oh, <laughs> oh, and urine. Nice, nice combination of both. Um, yeah thanks for thanks for yeah warning everybody (laughs) spoilers first scene of ridicule you're going to see a penis that's urinating on a person um and so uh (laughs) sorry so anyway back to the the fishing village thank (laughs) you um and so uh these two drunk fishermen uh very drunkenly uh murder a man and uh they stand trial, and one of them is uh, sentenced to prison for life, and one is sentenced to be uh, killed, specifically have his head cut off with a guillotine. So um, so as they're being carted through the town, people start throwing rocks at them, and the guy who is sentenced to jail, uh, the, the cart falls over, and he smashes his head on a rock, and he dies. So the only one that's left alive is the one that's sentenced to die. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, so the local uh police captain, I guess, uh, is he he's kind of in charge of the prisoner now and so he puts them in puts him in his jail cell. Uh meanwhile the local politicians are like, We don't have a guillotine. Like yeah. what uh why did we sentence him to this? <laughs> we don't have one. And so um so they need to order well, one. Quickly, um
0: yeah. I looked this up. I I just saw this today. I don't know if you saw this in the, the like trivia section, hmm. what the the title comes from. Because no. Juliette Binoche in the movie is not a widow.
1: No. I mean, they, they refer to the guillotine as a widow.
0: Okay, that's what I was... Because um, apparently it's a play on words that we don't get. Like, the French right. word for widow is similar or is like similar to a slang term for okay. the French word for guillotine, which right. I guess is guillotine, but a slang term for guillotine Yeah, is whatever. So I just wanted to point that out to the listener.
1: That's a good call, David, because it took me a long time to realize, like, I don't think her husband's going to die. <laughs> um, and so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the. Okay, so. And Juliette Benoche is in, she plays the captain's uh, wife. Um, So while they are waiting, while everybody is waiting for the guillotine to be delivered from Paris, along with uh, an executor, Which, executioner, sorry. yeah.
0: And a, a guillotine's a fairly large thing. Yeah. And uh, this is 1850, so it's going to yeah. take a
1: while. Yes, because it's on a boat, and it's going to take, yes. And, and it's, so, the, it's the winner. Yeah. And so. Um, so she. Um, man is it the winner. That's one of the
0: main things I remember about the movie, is that it's a very snowy movie.
1: It's very snowy and it and it looks genuinely cold even yeah. when there's no snow on the ground. It just um and maybe, anyway, I'll talk about, maybe I'll talk about that first before I even get okay. further into the story, is that he does such a great job of establishing location. And I uh-huh. think he do, I think he's done that in the three movies that I saw. Yeah. I think that's something that, that uh that we should talk about, but I'll talk about it in this film specifically. He just You need to see the fish guts, frankly. Yeah. Because he shows that and then shows all these fishermen drunk. I'd probably needed several (laughs) drinks too if I spent all day gutting fish. And he shows all the gore, but he also shows like this very seemingly. It's weird. Like the town, it both seems like an idealized version of a town, but somehow completely in reality. Um, Because the
0: story itself seems. I'm sorry, I want to inter- interrupt again because you're, just, you're talking about the fish guts. Maybe think of something. There's there's sort of a recurring thing in a lot of his movies with dead animals. You remember the uh, the sort of d- dead bunny in uh, in ridicule, yeah. And then there's a there's a thing with mice in Monsieur Hire. Uh, mm. It just I don't know what that means. Um, if it's something about his own psyche or it's about the characters or what, it's but back to uh, life, David. Animals got to die. There's a lot of dead dead cute things in his movies. Not that fish, fish aren't, aren't cute. that cute. Yeah, but bunnies, say, and mice
1: are. bunnies are. Bunnies, yes. Those uh, seeing that seeing that wet bunny and ridicule is kind of adorable, and then and then like its brother is dead. It's yeah, like, oh, that's not as cute. Um, <laughs> I, like yeah, you, I like that you know they're brothers. I assume they're brothers because <laughs> that's more adorable. Um, and so the uh, yeah, so the he just he establishes the place he because I don't know. I mean, it's it's another country in a completely other time. I don't know anything about the situation, but he establishes it pretty quickly. Like the hierarchy that the captain is kind of he's he's kind of an, a separate entity,
0: entity from the, uh, the politicians. Um, right. They're about the captain. The not, captain. Not Julie Benoche's wife or husband. Right. Uh, but. No, he is the. He's the chief. He's the chief. OK. But Daniel Atui. Uh, I can't remember this. OK. All right. I, I,
1: Daniel Atui is the captain. Okay. And his wife is Juliette Binoche. Okay. All right. And then there is uh there are there are other That's officers right. as well. Okay. Um stay and tuned for that. 9 years. Okay. 9 years. It's, it's been 9 it's, years. It's coming together. So, yeah, you can, you can leave it to me if you want. Um <laughs> and so uh <laughs> and so so she anyway, so it's just it does such a great job of establishing the place and um and the people and the relationships. And so Uh, So, in the middle of this, really, like, one of the only women, because it's it's a largely male cast, Mm -hmm. um, is the captain's wife, played by Juliette Binoche, who takes an interest in the prisoner and the murderer. And uh, so, she, like, has him help her build, like, a greenhouse to, you know, garden. He, like, she takes him around to have him fix, like, other people's homes. Mm -hmm. Um, And she just develops a relationship with him, and she seems to inherently trust him a great deal more than anybody else, considering that this man murdered somebody. Yeah. Um, And the guy himself just kind of goes along because you really get a sense that he hates what he's done uh, and that he just feels like, I'll do whatever anybody asks me to at this point. Um, He's just sort of killing time until... Yeah, until he himself is killed. Right. And so, um, so eventually something happens, and everyone in the town starts to like the murderer... Yeah, and um, and so nobody really wants him dead. But she she didn't really want him dead in the first place, so she kind of led that charge, uh, and the captain kind of goes along with her, and and there's a vague kind of uh, attraction between her and the and the prisoner. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never really spoken, but it's it's clear it's there right. in, in the way they look at each other, and um, but it's also clear that she loves the captain, right? You know, and and he really loves her, and so he bends over backwards to do everything he can to save this prisoner Um, from you know like delaying the arrival of the guillotine Mm -hmm. and like saying like because they need to bring it aboard. Uh, I'm sorry, bring it on shore, but he won't permit the sailors from the ship to come ashore. And so they say, well, we'll just hire somebody, but nobody wants this guy to die. And so, right. so there's, but ultimately uh the politicians say, hey, no, we promised that this guy would die. We need to prove ourselves to the, you know, the, the big wigs in Paris. Uh-huh. And so, um so they insist on it and they like secretly hire their own executioner and, and stuff like that. So, so eventually... Everything, despite the efforts of the captain and his wife, everything uh, comes together, and the prisoner is, in fact, spoilers executed. Um, That's that, that spoilers. Is a little late. <laughs> I know. I know. But honestly, in watching the movie, I never thought he was going to live. Yeah, never. No, yeah, I mean, it, there's it, just there's there's a sense of there's a a fate to the film. Yeah. Uh, but and here's here's okay, big spoiler. Like that part is not a spoiler. What I will say is a spoiler. So this is like the last f- fifteen twenty minutes of the film.
0: Okay, so and this will take us a few minutes to talk about. So if you don't want to hear it, right, pass skip forward. ahead
1: like eh, four minutes. Okay. Um. And I and the reason that I'm saying it at all is because I feel like it does actually contribute to uh to some of the themes, which is the politicians realizing that the captain is standing in their way uh-huh. and that there's nothing that they can really do about it they write they write to his superiors and say that he and they're charging him with mutiny, which is a executable offense, yeah, all right, and so he get he and his wife get taken away, and he is in fact killed, yeah, so he gets killed for a man that was going to die anyway and in fact does die, and so they both die, leaving the captain's wife all alone, and I feel like then she's. What was that? Then she's the widow. And then she is, in fact, yes, the widow. Yeah. But she doesn't live there anymore. So she's right. just a general widow. <laughs> and so um, so the thing, th- going with what, with what you've talked about, which is the idea of like men being obsessed with, with women, mm-hmm. this is an interesting variation on it because you have her who is obsessed with the prisoner, kind of. Because uh, she never really says why. Yeah. Just that she sees good in it. It's definitely a fixation, if not an obsession. D- yeah. Fixation is a good word. And so, she, and she is willing to stop at nothing to rehabilitate him or whatever it is that drives her about this prisoner. Because early on, she's fascinated by, like, how could somebody have done such a horrible thing? You know, she's mm-hmm. focused on the crime and the victim. And then she becomes focused on him. And then her, and what's fascinating is that her husband, deeply in love with her, is willing to do anything... I mean, he he's feels sympathy for the, the murderer as well, but not to the point that he would go against what he's supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. But for her, he will. And it's because he, he has an intense love for her. I mean, I wouldn't say it was an obsession. But what's interesting is her fixation with the prisoner causes her to... I, I don't think she quite realizes what her husband is doing for her. Right. And so so she gets so fixated on this and like this kind of weird kind of not glamorous element, but kind of a risky element Mm -hmm. perhaps, um, or the very least something new. Yeah. Um, even though she loves her husband, he loves her, that she, she becomes so fixated on it that she winds up losing everything. And, and that, and I feel like it actually does. It's a variation on the idea of becoming fixated or obsessed with something that is not necessarily, it's not necessarily bad. You know, because it sounds like in some of these other ones, like people become obsessed with something, but they either get what they want Mm -hmm. or it turns positive. And this is one where because she already had something great and she focused on this other thing, which was not necessarily bad, but because she focused focused on it so much that she kind of neglected the great thing she already had. She wound up losing both. Right. And uh, and it's a film that I think is about the negative part of obsession and fixation. And yeah, uh, well, I I
0: like I haven't giving away the endings of these other films oh, okay. it's no, they're, they're not all happy endings oh okay fair enough Rush's Husband is kind of uh, on the fence there you, okay hard to say
1: but it's but it's a gorgeous film mm. I really loved Widow of St. Pierre
0: um, yeah so did I and it was funny like uh, loved Widow of St. Pierre and then but it didn't like like I said I saw it in 2000 didn't think mm. uh didn't like know the director. Didn't really remember his name. Mm-hmm. And then I saw Man on the Train when it came out, and like started reading about him. And then I rented Hitcher's Husband, and that's sort of when my fascination with this guy began. Yeah. But it all began nine years ago with uh, The Widow of Saint Pierre. Yeah. So uh, speaking of The Man on the Train,
1: Man on the Train.
0: That's another 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 good one. Which I, another one I haven't seen since the theater, which was two thousand two, two thousand three,
1: seven years ago. Yeah. And I saw that uh, probably about a month ago.
0: Yeah. So. um
1: yeah, and you uh, and I believe when when talking about uh, the filmmaker, I think this is the one you told me to see first because I think you said I would really enjoy it, and, and sure enough, I yeah. absolutely loved it. Um, and this one uh, is interesting because there's really, I believe, there's only like one woman in it. There's there's n- like as far as the as far as the obsession of a man for a woman theme, like there's not a lot of that. Yeah, in fact, there's virtually none. But there's there's but specs the, of it.
0: the 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 rest of it is, I mean, it's. Again, an older man at this point. Right. John Rochefort is eight years older than he was in Ridicule. Yeah. you know, uh, twelve years older than he was in The Hitchhiker's Husband. He's he's getting up there.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it's it's an interesting thing because the man on the train is a criminal, uh, a thief,
0: played by French rock star Johnny
1: Holliday. which is an awesome name. <laughs> and uh, and so he comes in, and it's very it's a very quiet movie. I'd say it's the quiet, uh, the most quiet of the three that I saw. And and the most measured. And Uh so so this man on the train, he he, he's a criminal. He comes into this very small town, very sleepy town, and uh, he runs across this older gentleman played by Jean Rochefort. And so the gentleman like welcomes him into his home and they get to know each other. And and, you know, we we don't have a lot of time, so I won't go too far into it. But it becomes clear that uh, the two men envy each other. And you wouldn't you wouldn't expect that because Mm -hmm. Jean Rochefort he's like a retired teacher lives in a large mansion alone he's very he's bored he's kind of sad and 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 lonely Mm -hmm. very lonely and uh, and so he sees this guy who he he pretty much assumes is a criminal right away he can just tell and he you know he read all those books when he was a kid and oh he (laughs) loved it and so he looks at this guy whose life must be so glamorous the life of a criminal a Uh thief. Oh my gosh! And so he talks about that, but what's interesting is the criminal looks at this nice, calm life where you don't have to worry about the law, you don't have to worry about getting shot or arrested, yeah. and he looks at that and, and says, "John like,
0: Rochefort's character is not uh, not struggling. He's got a nice yeah, oh yeah, yeah, nice and place. He's,
1: yeah, he's yeah. yeah, thank you. And so, um, so these two, so he looks, at, so the, uh, Johnny Holiday looks at that and says, like, man, this is this is what it needs to be.' Mm-hmm. Like, I, there's the scene that made me laugh out loud cuz there's a lot of humor in the in the film yeah uh the scene that made me laugh out loud is uh johnny holiday i think had never worn slippers in his life ever <laughs> and like the minute he puts them on he goes i've been wasting my life <laughs> and, just, <laughs> and it's just such a deli- cuz every once in a while i will run across something that i've never done before like i think the very first time like i got like a massage uh-huh. i was like I could have been doing this for years. <laughs> I know it costs money, but whatever. I'll, I'll forego seeing some movies. Yeah. I'll be, th- this is what I love now. <laughs> and so, um, and it's just that. And then, but like, so he really settles I think he wears like, uh, the guy's smoking jacket. Uh-huh. And just really, really settles in like, really thinks like I could live here. This, this could be my life. And, uh, but then like Jean Rochefort, he tries, you know, he cuts his hair to be a little cooler, a little more hip uh mm-hmm. and then the two of them are out at a uh at like a diner, and they their table gets like bumped by this punk kid and uh Jean Rochefort is like, "I wish I could say something to him and then Johnny Holiday's like, Well, go ahead you know and so he goes you know what i will. And so he goes over and he like starts to confront the punk only to find out that the punk is a former student who has nothing but respect for him. <laughs> so it's like, "Oh, he can't, I remember he. that scene very well, known. It's like, "Oh, even when he when he tries to be like badass, he can't be." Yeah. And so um so there's a lot of moments of humor but also just just the idea of of like like sadness and longing and just these two guys who just kind of fell into the lives that they are in both of them. That's the thing. It's not just other films. I think would just have, you know, the older guy kind of, one could say fetishizing the lifestyle, mm-hmm. if not the actual guy, um, of the criminal. Um, but this one has, you know, Lacan has, has the brilliance to see like, no, they both, they both want what the other man has. Mm-hmm. Even you know, like, a person's life could seem incredibly boring, but to some, it is the absolute, their idea of paradise. Yeah. And, you know, that's a very, it's a fairly subtle, it's a very, fairly small theme. I mean, it's not small, but, like, you don't want to be bombastic in the way you show it. And sure enough, this film, it's very quiet, and it's very dry, but it's it's very humorous, and it's very human. And uh, and I won't talk about the ending because I've already discussed the themes. But uh, right. but it's it's a very it's a very sad film, but really quite beautiful in the performances and just the photography. The nature of, of Jean Roche, Rochefort's life, and the nature of this town is very quiet, very sleepy, and the the cinematography and the editing is much the same way. You know, he he as you say, he adapted his style to fit the story he was telling. Yeah, and it's really a a, a wonderful film. I absolutely mm-hmm. loved it.
0: And there have been since it premiered rumors of an American remake, I, I don't know if it's if hmm. it's going to happen. I don't know. Uh, it would be a fun movie to cast, but I don't want to get into that right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> um, We'll talk about that later. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, off off mic. Yeah. Um, basically, there's just one more I want to talk about because, like I said, I haven't seen my best friend and neither of you. Mm. Um, but Intimate Strangers, which very much feels... It's, it's a great movie. Um, and it very much feels like the same director as Man on the, Man on the Train because... Mm-hmm. You know, because it is. But also because they're both... Uh, like if you hear the, if you heard the pitch from *Man on the Train*, it sounds a little high concept, a little movie-ish, a little contrived, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But he he sells it so much right from the beginning, yeah. you know. It's it's a really touching. It seems like a really human story, yeah. you know, and it is. Uh, and you kind of forget the fact that the the basic premise is kind of. A little contrived.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the basic story and the way these characters meet is like a series of delightful movie coincidences. Yeah. But you forget it. Well, completely. let me tell you
0: how the the man and the woman and Intimate Strangers meet. Okay. She goes to uh, uh, an office sort of building where there's a lot of different people have their offices to go to a therapist and accidentally walks into the office of a financial advisor, mistakes him for a therapist, and just starts talking about her marriage. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of funny. Yeah, and so that's uh, that's how they meet. and uh, But it, it, it becomes... I, Intimate Strangers never felt like a heavy film to me mm-hmm. while I was watching it but it it, it wasn't until like it, it it was over and like the sort of final shots with like a uh a trash can on fire I don't want to tell you mm-hmm. how, how it gets to that but um uh that I was just like I real I I'd suddenly realized oh my god this movie is blowing me away it's mm-hmm. it's so great and but it it's like Man on the Train it starts with that this this uh you know very movieish premise yeah almost a meat cute
1: you could you could yeah
0: and and then it just gets gets deeper and deeper and the the thing about intimate strangers is that uh um the the sort of tweak on the uh every one of these films seems to have a tweak on these main themes Mm -hmm. of of aging and obsession is that uh the the man in this case is he is a very lonely very much like monsieur h you know very uh routined and lonely you know but uh, the woman in this case is uh, not a, a young woman in her twenties. It's she's more or less closer to his age, you know, and she's married, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, uh, it it, be, it becomes this very fascinating. It, it's sort of like, uh, um, it, but she, she's a she's got a lot of life and eccentricity to her in in some ways. So it's sort of like like a, a more believable what's up doc, you know, <laughs> where you've got like a button down guy and a yeah. sort of like a yeah. free spirit type, but she's a believable free spirit. Like I said, she's married and she's mm-hmm. uh, a businesswoman and, or at least a professional of some sort. I can't remember. Uh, but, um, that's, that's all I really had to say in there. Uh, that's, okay. it's another film that there are apparently rumors of, uh, of remake hmm. of, um, and I, I don't know that that needs to, to happen, but,
1: uh, I'm fascinated that, uh, I mean, let the right, for example, let the right one in uh-huh. is, you know, it's a vampire movie and it got, you know, for what it was like a fair amount of box office and some word of mouth. Like, yeah. D- and, and because it's vampire ish, uh-huh. not vampire ish, it is about vampires. Um, it'll have an audience if they make it here. Yeah, I, I can't imagine man on the train like, but if you I, mean, I feel like the audience it would appeal to would see the one that, it you know, see the French one.
0: Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, uh, go ahead and put like, uh, um, like Michael Caine and Christian Bale in those roles, and mm. you've got a movie people would see. That's it, true. It's if you had stars, people would see it. I that's just true. I, for some reason I just cast the British version of it. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah,
1: that's, that's odd. Um, but I would yeah, actually, I, I would actually watch that. <laughs> I think I would too. Um, yeah, I forgot. I I forgot that like in the in like the character of the criminal, there's actually like you can cast somebody that everyone knows and everyone likes and yeah and and that sort of thing so yeah i guess there is i guess there is that just and at the very least there might be people who've just never heard of the french version and so yeah um so they'd seek it out and then perhaps go and, and see the other one but uh
0: but there's this is happened speaking of daniel Artoui, he was in a film called the closet a mm-hmm. french film called the closet that was a, a french comedy and i thought it was pretty funny and mm-hmm. uh it did well enough that there and this was, this came out in 99, hmm. and uh, they, were, they were saying like Miramax was making the uh, American one, and it never happened. So all these rumors. Right. Uh, a lot of French movies make, when they make a couple million in box office in the U.S., uh, people want to green light the remakes, and then it sort of never yeah. comes to fruition. So we'll probably never see an American Intimate Strangers, and I'm okay with that.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm actually, very, even though I. You know, waited until the very last minute to watch these movies. Um, I'm actually I'm very happy that you that that you suggested Patrice Leconte because you're absolutely right. He's somebody who the themes he explores and the way he explores them because it's always about character. Uh um, But you can really tell from the the way he makes it. And I haven't seen the uh, Girl on the Bridge, but um, you know you can tell that it's the same guy. I mean, the minute I started watching widow of St. Pierre today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I hadn't seen man on the train for a month, but the minute I started watching widow of St. Pierre, I'm like, Hey, there's the guy. There he is. <laughs> you know, uh, because it's, it's kind of that, that very kind of slow methodical yeah. style, but with strong character. And, and I, characters, I loved
0: him. Uh, one thing that I, I knew this would appeal to you. Cause like you said, you've liked uh, films that deal with being like growing older as a man, mm-hmm. you know, and, most uh, with Widow of St. Pierre is kind of an exception, but most of his films are really about men. Yeah, you know, but the the female characters in the movie are full characters. Mm-hmm. That's and that's I think that's really admirable that he makes these that he they could be just sort of uh, there solely to support his themes of of yeah. men, and you couldn't really hold it against them because that's not what he's talking about. But he right. still goes to the trouble of making all, all the all the female characters just as as fleshed out they're just not the main character
1: yeah there's actually there's a uh, a scene in uh, Man on the Train where Jean Rochefort's sister comes oh, yeah. in and it's one scene I think she might be in two actually now that I think about it, but there's really only one where it's a you know an important dialogue scene uh-huh. and she's great like I don't remember who, who the actress is but like the two of them going back and forth they really do the familiarity they have it's like this is definitely a brother and sister and it's an important scene and it First off, the scene didn't even really need to be there that much. Uh, Right, from a plot point of view. Yeah. Uh, Or it could have been there but been used only to show us more of him. Right. But she's important too, you know. And so it treats her as if the movie was, you know, as if she had her own movie going as well.
0: Yeah, and something you were talking about how how well he establishes location in Widow of St. Pierre. Mm -hmm. It's not just about this main character. He gives you the entire world they live in. Yeah. You know? I mean, he. I'm pretty sure that ridicule was shot at Versailles, but Mm -hmm. he did more than just shoot it at Versailles. He really made you feel like this is what Versailles was like. Oh, yeah. You know? And uh, that's. I think that's the mark of of any great director who's making these kind of human stories is to to not get so wrapped up in in your main character that you forget that he has to exist in a world.
1: Yeah. I mean, sympathizing with a character, I mean, sometimes, uh, like, there's a reason that, like, the first. Like seven minutes of Alien, for example, is all silence, and it's just showing us the spaceship, the inside yeah. of the spaceship. It's establishing the world they're living in, so that it's it's almost like a kind of shorthand. So you're familiar with it before you get their reaction to it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's he he's a he's a really great director, and I really I liked what I saw, and I'm actually going to pursue more of his films because yeah, it's really, just it's so I, much fun. I
0: really want to see My Best Friend. I want to see uh, Yvonne's Perfume which is one that was either right before or right after Ridicule and mm-hmm. Tango was supposed to be really good but yeah. um, a lot of this stuff is not uh, easy to find on DVD as I've found.
1: Hmm. Well, hopefully. Well, like, w- which ones the, are hard to find?
0: Well, uh, it's... Uh, th- like, even though Girl on the Bridge did fairly well, mm-hmm. it didn't... It, it came out in 99 and it didn't come out on DVD until last year. Oh, it's, my. It's sort of... I think that's it's the way with you know. It seems like DVD's pretty entrenched now, but with uh, I think in America at least, a lot of foreign and independent films from the era before DVD, yeah. are t- did they just take a while to catch up? Yeah, you know? like unless
1: they're you know they were big and everybody knew about them, then right. it's like well we'll get to them. Yeah. So, but uh, all right. Well, thanks everybody for uh, for listening, and uh, by all means, go and and seek out the the work of Patricia Khan. It was uh, it was a lot of fun for me and uh and i and i think it will be for you as well um and uh so you can get us at uh tyler battleship pretension.com david battleship dot twitter.com slash the pretension to
0: follow uh see if you were if you were a twitter person you would know you all you have to say is at the pretension at, at the pretension you gotta you gotta yeah. ju- come on one of
1: us what was no one of us (laughs) how's about this i'll join twitter you join facebook uh no okay then (laughs) all right so um so yeah and of course you can always uh go to the website and uh you know add to the discussion on uh our message board and uh yeah i think that's it so thanks for listening and uh, we'll get you next time
0: bye bye Popping peas, pop, 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 popping peas, pop.